good to be back. Uh, you know, to reach that point of peace takes a lot of takes a lot of growth in our our spiritual life, doesn't it? To be allowing Christ to give us peace in hard times. And boy, I think it, when we reach that that. That's spiritual growth right there. That's really help in life. Uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone uh, for praying for me. I know you guys are so faithful in prayers and for helping and for, you know, just encouraging. And I just feel lifted up by this congregation. And the doctors are real happy with how everything went. And so thankful for that. Got great doctors. They just kind of like told us everything, laid it all out, and um, things are going well. So thank you again for praying. Brian, thanks for filling the pulpit. Appreciate that so much, how you do that so uh, willingly. <laughs> Let's pray now before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you for what we have in our faith in you and in Christ. I thank you for this church, for the faithful people in this church, and how the, the love for you and for each other is so evident here. And pray that you would continue to lead us down that road and help us to understand your word more and help us to know all the things about you and, and prayer and everything that's vital in the Christian life, and may we learn from this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you know, recently, I ran across a list of church names, as I was working on today's sermon, and here's some of the more interesting ones, Church in the Now. Dream Church, I don't know if that means they're dreaming while the sermon's going on, or <laughs> Enjoy Church, Happy Corner Church, The Fun Church, and if those don't really, you know, spark your interest, here, here's some more, Caleb's Foot, Scum of the Earth Church, <laughs> Fishnet Worship Church, trademark. I'm not sure what the trademark is, but <laughs> that's their name. But <clears throat> I actually thought of a name for the church that we're going to look, be looking at this morning in the Bible. You know, we're all aware that we have been working on developing a good organizational structure for our church, kind of revamping things so that we can serve one another better, carry out ministries more effectively, make certain we have everything covered. You know, it's easy to let things slip by. So a few weeks ago, <clears throat> we started into the book of Acts to gain godly wisdom as we focus on the church of Jesus Christ. So we're looking at, okay, what is the church? Where does it come from? 
What, is it, what are we supposed to do as a church? Now, here is a name I feel will fit the church that we're going to be looking at in the book of Acts this morning. I gave it a name. I call it the Church of the Violent Wind. <clears throat> now, three weeks ago, we saw how Jesus in Acts chapter 1, after his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples at different times and different places throughout 40 days. And during that time, he spoke to his disciples about the kingdom of God. And he presented himself as proof that he had risen. And then he told them to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come down and they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Then when they heard spirit and baptism, they thought of, okay, that, that could be the kingdom. The kingdom's here. So they asked him, is that the time the kingdom is coming? And Jesus, in his answer, he did not say no, but he didn't say yes. He said it was not for them to know the times or dates that the Father had set by his own authority. He said, instead of thinking of times and dates and the kingdom and all of that, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that was to be what they focused on. Not dates and times and the kingdom coming and that sort of thing. You know, we pray for the kingdom coming, but we're not supposed to just get focused on a certain time. And then <clears throat> after that was done, he was taken up before their very eyes, and they just watched him go into the sky. And it said the clouds received him out of their sight, and they were just staring and staring. And as they stared intently into the sky, all of a sudden, two angels were standing beside them. And it's like, as you read it, it's like they were looking up and didn't even know the angels were there. They looked down and boom, they're there. And the angels asked, why are you standing there staring up in the sky? He said, this same Jesus who has been taken up into heaven will come back in the same way that he went up. So, <clears throat> you know, Jesus is trying to get them to put their focus on the right thing and what they're going to do now. He told them that they would be witnesses for the Christ's resurrection. They were the ones who saw him with their very own eyes after he had risen from the dead. They saw him alive after he had been brutally murdered. Not everybody saw that, right? But they were the ones, so they would be the witnesses of his resurrection. And the first thing they do as they go back, after Jesus gives them these orders, is they... Uh, replace Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, and they cast lots and turned out to be Matthias. So they go back and they take care of that matter. And now we're going to see what many call the birthday of the church. You know, when we think of churches in our day, we think of people pulling up into the parking lot. We think of people getting out of their cars, walking up to the church doors, 
greeting one another, <clears throat> uh, friendly talk to one another, conversations with people, pleasant, peaceful interactions, pretty calm, fairly quiet, you know, a buzz going on with people talking. But I want you to see how the Church of Jesus Christ got its start. So I want you to look with me as we read the first 13 verses. We have a long passage, but we're going to take it in big chunks. I want you to see the first 13 verses of Acts chapter 2. It says, <clears throat> and compare this with what we think of as coming to church. When the day of Pentecost came, the, it's a Jewish feast day, it's a harvest feast, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Not quite like just walking up gently, is it? Is it? They, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Now I'm going to read, as I show this little map of where these people all came from, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11 that aren't going to be on here, but you can look at the map as I start reading. These are the places where all these people, all the Jews came in that lived outside of Jerusalem and outside of Israel even. And it says in verses 9 through 11, <clears throat> well, you know, they asked, how is it that we hear them all in our native language? And then it says, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Lib Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. <clears throat> so just think of that. At, at the birthday of the church, we got people coming from all over that part of the world. So many different people. Think of the way that God designed that. And he did it on a Jewish feast day, right? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they have had too much wine. <clears throat> the church of Jesus Christ started a little different than what we are used to experiencing at church, wouldn't you say? I mean, the church of Jesus Christ just burst on the scene. The Holy Spirit came down, tongues of fire, speaking in different languages. It was the power of God. It was the undeniable power of God. A sound like the violent wind came through the house, came from heaven, filled the whole house. Tongues of fire resting upon each person. 
They were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They began to go out and boldly declare the wonders of God. And the people who were in Jerusalem for the feast, they had come from so far away, didn't they? Near and far. But everyone was hearing the disciples speak in their own language. They could hear all the good things that were coming from the Lord in their own language from people who didn't even know their languages. Because the Holy Spirit was enabling the disciples to speak in the languages that they didn't even know so all the people could have the good news. It was obviously a magnificent, powerful work of God. This event is seen as the birth of the church. And it came on the Jewish feast day that celebrated the harvest. The joyful time when the crops come up and you, you can make that next tractor payment and all of that stuff. The harvest. In rural communities, you know, harvest time is a really a time of rejoicing and thanksgiving. And this Pentecost is one like no other. People are astounded and amazed. I mean, just think of the work of God and how he planned it and put it on at a very certain time. But then we have the critics, don't we? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've had too much wine. You know, it seems to me this act of God would just about be impossible to deny. I mean, all the stuff that happened, I mean, not everybody saw everything, but they saw the people come out and speak in languages that they had no idea how to speak. And they were all telling about the wonders of God. It, it would be impossible to deny the act of God, basically. But you know, when someone decides that they're not going to accept the truth, they often will just not accept the truth. I mean, no matter how much proof there is, if they have their mindset that they're not going to accept it, and God gives them that freedom, and so that's just something that's out there, isn't it? But you know, as a positive point, Peter uses that negative remark there to bring the glorious truth of God to the people. So look with me at verses 14 through 21. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, you know, Peter is quoting Joel from the Old Testament, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
<clears throat> Peter is saying that everything that they are witnessing is spoken of in the prophets concerning the last days. And he's telling them, this is something that's been prophesied about the last days you're seeing. It's an outpouring of God's spirit. Visions and dreams will be given to God's people. People will prophesy. There will be signs on the earth as well as signs in the heavens. You know, these fantastic signs that saying something is coming. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming, the, the great coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> it seems that Peter was saying this outpouring of God's spirit and all of these spectacular signs are pointing to the soon return of Christ. And he was. But then you think, wait a minute. It's been almost 2,000 years, and Christ hasn't returned. So what gives? You know, Peter says, this is the sign of the end times. And this is what the Bible says that the scriptures say about the end times. Well, you know, <clears throat> in reality, we are today living in that time period the same time period as the apostles lived in in the first century. We are living in the last days. And you see, with God, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. And according to his calendar, we are all in the last days. And Jesus told them not to worry about dates and times. You're my witnesses and you're to go out to all the world and spread the gospel. But they were always to be ready for Christ's return. You know, the apostles, I've said this before, <clears throat> but when you read the, the writings of the apostles, they are thinking that Christ is coming back anytime. And that's because Jesus wanted them to think that. He wants us to think that, that he could come back at any time. And he wants us to live like he's coming back at any time. You know, stories in the Gospels where Jesus will talk about <clears throat> unfaithful servants and unfaithful heads of households, you know, when, when the owner goes away and he leaves the, the master of the servants there. And he talks about those who uh, continue to do their job faithfully even though the master's gone and they don't know when he's coming back, but they just continue to do the job faithfully. And that's a faithful servant and he rewards them. And then he talks about those <clears throat> who think, oh, he's not going to be back for a while. And they beat the other servants and they're unfaithful. And then they throw him out, you know, to the lions or whatever. And Jesus talks about faithful servants waiting and watching and being ready and always ready for the return. And unfaithful servants who say, ah, he won't be back for a while. We got time to goof off. So, you know, these verses are for us too, aren't they? Because we are longing for Christ's return. And God wants us to live as longing for Christ's return. And to, you know, do works that are, that are worthy of Christ coming to get us. But, you know... <clears throat> 
this verse here kind of struck me. He's talking about the very end times, right? He's talking about the end times, and we say, you know, that's, that's, that's a big gap. It says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I'm thinking about the very end times. You know, when the armies are gathering to destroy Israel, to destroy, and they're coming to Jerusalem. The armies of the world are coming to just wipe out Israel. And they're all gathering. It looks like Israel has no chance. They're going to be smothered. And then at some point in the scriptures, it talks about that as Christ comes down, these armies, you know, they have already gained control and they are, and, you know, they have great power over others. And that's what's happening at the very end. <clears throat> and they're so arrogant that when they see Christ coming, they think they're going to stop him from taking back his, his earth. And so they go, they go to defeat him. And then he just slaughters them. He slaughters the armies of the world. But, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now I think mostly that means all the Jews there that did not come to Christ, and they're seeing all of this happen, and they see him coming, they had, they're able to now call out to God and be saved. Even at the very end, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so imagine that. Imagine how many people are going to be saved. And then I started thinking, what if, excuse me, <laughs> what if you're with an enemy army and you're coming to destroy Jerusalem? And then, you know, you see Jesus coming and you see it all unraveling. Do you think it's possible that one soldier here, one soldier there will say, I'm switching. <laughs> I'm going over to Jesus' side. Do you think God will save them? I believe he will. How many people will be saved on that time? I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, Jesus... Just think of all that he did for people to be saved. Would he deny someone who would turn to him in faith, even though they were on the enemy team? And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so here we are at the very end of time in this age. Christ is returning to defeat the armies of the world save his people from slaughter. And he says, anybody who calls upon his name will be saved. Everyone who cries out to him in faith and for deliverance. He's coming back to save his own people. And if they cry out to him, and it says in, in Zechariah that they see him coming and they mourn and they cry and they weep because they realize we put him on a cross. <clears throat> but now, look how Peter, talking to all these people who are witnessing all these very strange goings-on, you know, people speaking in different languages they don't even know how to speak. 
he explains to them who Jesus Christ really is and how actually God has planned everything that's happening. So look at verses 22 through 28. Peter says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. He proved himself. God proved him to you through that, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. So he's saying, face up to the truth. You saw it. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. <clears throat> Peter is telling them that Jesus Christ was truly from God. He was vindicated by God through the miracles and the signs and the wonders and everything he did all throughout his three years of public ministry. And Peter says not only that, but it was God's deliberate plan to have Jesus handed over to his enemies in order for him to become the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. God did this so that we could be saved. You know, I've talked to people <clears throat> about the Lord and, you know, about his death and about wicked men, you know, taking him and crucifying him. And I've never heard anybody outside the church, you know, that really doesn't know a lot of what we know. I've never heard them say, but, you know, God planned that. They just think Jesus just accidentally happened to get into a, a, a scruffle with people and lost. So their, their message of Jesus is just kind of like one of, wow, too bad. And they don't understand, do they? And Peter says it was by the plan, the deliberate plan, to have Jesus handed over to his enemies in order for him to become the sacrifice for mankind. He did this so that we could be saved. And you know, these people listening to Peter, they're thinking, what is happening here? You know, and, and, and some are saying, well, you know, they're... They're drunk. But Peter is showing that all of this fits into God's eternal plan so that anyone can turn to Christ for salvation. He's telling all of these Jews who had come to Jerusalem for the feast that Jesus Christ was sent by God to save them from their sins. And it was God's deliberate plan. But he tells these Jews but you joined the company of the wicked and you put him to death on a cross. 
You joined in with the wickedness of the world, you Jews, and you put your Savior to death. But then he says, death could not keep him because he had no sin. You know, Jesus died an actual death. That's, that's very, very important to realize. It had to happen that way. But he died this death. He was put into the grave. But death had no legitimate hold on him because he was sinless. So death could not keep him. Death wanted to keep him. But death had no choice but to release him. Because Jesus, he had nothing, they had nothing to hold him for. And then Peter goes on to quote David in the Psalms about how the righteous will not be abandoned to the realm of the dead. And David in the Psalms has this faith that his lifeless body will also rest in hope because of the promises of God to his children. And we know that this promise is first and foremost true in the person of Jesus Christ. He goes before us and he shows us what God is going to do. And then it's true for all who belong to him, who come to Christ for forgiveness, repenting of our sins. So we who have turned to Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and have placed our faith in the one who death could not keep its hold upon. If we become one with Christ through faith, death will have no authority or ability to keep us in its grasp when we die. And the whole thing is becoming one with Christ through faith. One with Christ. That's very, very important in the Bible. That we become one with Christ. We come to him in repentance of our sins, forgiveness, uh, admitting that his death on the cross paid for our sins, and that's our only way. And then we become one with Christ, and then death has no power over us. Now look what Peter says about Jesus being a descendant of David in verses 29 through 36. <clears throat> Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. David knew one of his descendants would be, would be the king in the kingdom. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah as a, as a prophet, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Peter is arguing here to the Jews of how it all works. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out, on, poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Messiah. <clears throat> Just think of this. This basically uneducated fisherman named Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, explaining all this amazing work of God to all of these people, all these Jews. Explaining how the Jewish scriptures prophesied the resurrection of the Messiah through David. And then slamming down the exclamation point of verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And you know, wow, these last years, I think of these people who mock God and who, it just fills me with fear, you know, standing before God, people who, you know, just turn their head away or turn, turn their hearts away from God and diss him and, you know, say awful things. And I'm thinking, whoa, you're going to stand before God one day. It's going to be horrific. Now look at verses 37 through 41. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? It, it, it got to them, didn't it? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for, for, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. <clears throat> What an amazing <clears throat> what an amazing beginning or birth of the church of Jesus Christ. What an amazing beginning it had at its inception. And it certainly wasn't just someone thought up one day they're going to start a club, you know, and call it a Christian club, right? <clears throat> you know, when, when you talk to anybody that's not familiar with the Bible, <clears throat> and you ask them, well, what do, you think of, what do you think church is? Oh, it's just people getting together, trying to make each other happy. I mean, they just see it, and so they have absolutely no idea what church is, why, why it started, what Christ did to bring the church about, what it's supposed to do. I mean, they can't even fathom it. They just say, oh, it's, it's a lot of people who just want to control others, tell us something we can't do. And you know, 
Church also is not like anything that people start up when they want to become a leader of a cult, is it? Because this, the church, is an undeniable, authentic work of Almighty God that burst on the scene with the power of God and now has spread across the world and has led thousands and thousands and multi-thousands of people to, to attain eternal life. And so even as we talk about our local body of Christ and what we're here for, how we want to organize our ministries, how we want to serve each other better, smarter, how we want to reach out to others. We can remember and go back and remember how it all started and what we are a part of and ultimately whose we are. We are a part of what started on that day of the Feast of Pentecost. We belong to them. We're part of that church. We are the church of the risen Christ, the one who conquered death. Now, I'm just going to read through these last few verses that shows what happened when these people all became part of the church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. <clears throat> so, what an amazing history we have as part of the church. What an amazing legacy that we have as part of the church. What an undeniable work of God, act of God. Couldn't have happened that couldn't have happened by any other means than the power of God. And so what we belong to, and just think, you know, if, if somebody disses your church, who cares? <laughs> They're like a little mouse, you know, barking at a lion or something like that. It's unbelievable what God has given us. And I think if we you know, like this, connect back to our roots. You know, it just, it just gives us even more of a sense of we're, we're a part of this amazing plan of God, the deliberate delivery of his son to die for our sins. And then, you know, to carry on the mission that he gave the apostles, and we're part of that in this age. We can just rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word because it tells us so much and helps us to connect 
in such strong ways with our history, with, <clears throat> excuse me, with the beginning of your church. And we pray that we can keep this in mind so that we can know that who we are in you and what we are a part of and how great it is and how wonderful. And then, you know, reach out to others and serve one another and live lives for you that please you. And we look forward to your coming and to your kingdom. And we pray and, and ask for your help to continue on in Jesus' name. Amen.